The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Sorry I'm late, I've just been from a series of probing interviews with the Inland Revenue about my income from podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing a study. (laughs) No mai tēnā koutou koutou, this is Combat Lunchtime, I'm Toby Mann, hi Annabelle Lee Maitha, kia ora. Tēnā koe. Ben Thomas, kia ora. Kia ora. Samuel is making everything run very smoothly. Um, Exciting times. We'll get to talk about tax. We're chomping at the bit to talk about tax. We're also going to talk about, what else are we going to talk about? Australia, our beloved Australia. Never heard of it. Um, and some other bits and bobs, maybe a bit of Curiel and maybe a bit of candidate selection ongoing. Hellfire. Let's talk about tax, though. Uh, the revenue minister, the tax justice evangelist, David Parker, commissioned a report just over a year ago, I think, from the IRD in which they were tasked following a change in legislation sometime previously that obliged people to provide information about their taxes that isn't solely for the purposes of administration. I think I might have that right, hopefully, who knows. And so the richest families in New Zealand were required to provide their details. Most of them did, not all of them did, but 311 of the wealthiest families of New Zealand provided information to Inland Revenue, who looked at their income, their economic income, drawn not just from their salaries and trust uh, funds, but also from the capital gains they made across incomes. Anyway, the upshot of it all was, ladies and gentlemen, as many of you will have heard, if you listen to this podcast, you know this already, I'm sure, that the effective tax rate paid by the wealthiest New Zealanders is 9.4 cents in the dollar. The effective tax rate paid by the median is 20.2 cents in the dollar. The tax rate paid by hardworking podcasters on medium, median incomes, 30, 35, 40, sometimes 50. If you're a smoker, cents giving up near 70 to 80% of your income. <laughs> 120 <laughs> percent. <laughs> you factor it all in. Shortness of life. New Zealand essentially has the narrowest tax base in the world, which is basically a bunch of cleaners and me paying tobacco excise taxes. <laughs> and like. Yeah, that's right. We're going to... Um, survey the 311 unhealthiest New Zealanders <laughs> <laughs> collectively pay more in tax. Um, 
obviously there's a massive political dimension to this, and we are talking, I should say, on Thursday morning ahead of a speech being given by the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, pre-budget speech that he is giving in Auckland at lunchtime today. We don't know what's in that speech, so we're flying blind a little bit. But let's leave the political part to one side. Annabelle, this process, I read a column in stuff.co.nz today calling it a kite-flying stunt. Actually, do you think that's true? That was written by someone called Ben Thomas. It seems to me quite a, a positive empirical exercise to understand better tax distribution in New Zealand, a core pillar of the economy, whatever you think in terms of the way the redistribution system should work. Really good to know this stuff. I have no idea what a kite-flying kite me- metaphor stunt. stunt thingy is. What? What I'd like to say is to the 311 families who were surveyed, if you're looking for additional whānau <laughs> members, well, you can contact me via this, this spin-off. Like, I'm really keen Gone by to, to join is your brought, family. brought to you by the 311. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, I think, it, to me, it seemed like a valuable exercise uh, I mean, it's startling and powerful to see those numbers. It's something that's long been suspected, but there was no kind of hard data around it. So it's, you know, fascinating to see. And the the news coverage about it is obviously um, compelling. Uh, The thing that I found weird about it, though, is that you deliver this, this fascinating information that shows the incredible inequity in our tax system and you quickly follow it up with the statement, but don't worry, we're not going to do anything about it. Mm. To me, that seemed bizarre and I I just don't know why they communicated it that way. Like, why would you not say instead, um, you know, obviously this data is very important and we're going to spend some time considering it and, of course, you can expect that we will have a, a, a policy um, announcement before the election that hopes to deal with this issue. But it was just weird that, you know, on one hand, he's almost singing this little light of mine, um, talking about the speech that he did, shining a light on inequity in the tax system or whatever it is. And he then at the same time, they're immediately sword, squashing it all out. Yeah. He, um, I, I should take this opportunity to tell listeners that David Parker is on Bernard Hickey's podcast, When the Facts Change this week, so look out for that. Yes, I mean, maybe it's a bit David Parker is obviously uh, committed to the idea of a capital gains tax, has mm. been sort of, has been making that case for a long time. Uh, the politics part of it, which we're going to come to, uh, is a bit of an immovable force. And, you know, Jacinda Ardern made the captain's call in the 2017 election to kick it, then she made in 2019. She made a captain's that, call to, to have it. Well, 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 captain's well, called to kick it. Yeah. Well, a captain's, and then a captain's called to have a tax working group. <laughs> but there was also a captain's call not to introduce anything until after the following election, right, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and and through all that, there is you know David Parker has sort of solidly been working nerdily on the numbers. Uh, ben, before well, let's let's just let's just park that political dimension for a moment. Um, and give you a chance to defend the headline you probably didn't write to on defend your column. the ultra wealthy. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Also in that column, everybody since... wants to live in a liberal democracy until they have to pay taxes. Eh? Uh, give, give, give us your view on it all, Ben. Also, can you defend using the third person we? 
to describe yourself and your well, that's, column that's this the morning. First person. Wow. The first person. Yeah. Plural. It's the plural. That's yeah, me and you. the reader. Thank you very much. Me and the reader in a close, a close, intimate relationship, exploring this issue together. You, the queen. Me, and me, and they, the reader. Yeah. The subject. Go on. Um, me and me and the person who's reading this. New Zealand's two finest political <laughs> analysts. <laughs> um, the the um, yeah. So the objection. The objection to the way that this report has been, first of all, done and and, and sort of uh, sold, I suppose, is that if you're a cynic, you would say it's actually not a surprising result that to find out from your year-long study that in a country where we don't tax capital gains, the capital gains of the rich were not taxed. I mean, that's like that's quite a it's sort of a, a, an uncontroversial Solidism. sort of finding, yeah. finding right? Um, and and I think there has been a bit of slipperiness there in terms of you know what's the effective tax rate? Well, the effective tax rate in terms of you and and in terms of what is income, so or earned income or what they call economic, economic income. income. So. I, I think of it as income. I think of the salary that I get. I think of any dividends that I get from shares. I think of the three dollars interest that I get. You know, with, with the three the three dollar shareholder disbursement for being a, a member of the cooperative bank mm. and, and a, a stakeholder in that doomed financial enterprise. But <laughs> what they calculated in that. Study, right, and that's also how they calculated the effective tax rate of the middle income earner, right? If you're on about 100 grand, you'll pay about 20% of that in income tax. You probably won't see that because your employer will probably deduct it at the sources, PAYE. You will also pay an amount in GST, which they estimated about 2% of your earnings. So you'll probably spend about. you know, two thousand dollars, say, on GST if you were it throughout the year, in terms of you know on the goods and services that you buy. If you're a middle income earner, for the ultra wealthy, what they did was include the gains, the gain in the value of their property, the gain in value of the businesses that they owned, the gain in value of the shares that they owned, yeah, which was what we call unrealized unrealized capital gains. Capital gains. So there's That's no right. money so they haven't coming sold in. these things and those, yeah, it's, those, it's in not cash in hand that sure. you would be taxed on. It is just the value of the asset you have. Now, They're if you just apply, like little black holes sucking wealth towards them. Well, yeah, but but then again, so are the middle earners in the middle classes. If they own a house yeah. and their Auckland house went up in value $100,000 or $150,000 in 2021, as it most assuredly did, if they own a house in Auckland, whatever their income, then you would actually, you'd, suddenly their income according to IRD, that they should have been taxed on goes from $100,000 to $250,000. And then they're paying $20,000 on that. And then they're actually even more undertaxed than the fabulously wealthy, right? And so it's not really an apples and oranges comparison. The numbers have been, you know, the, the numbers that are presented are correct, but the definitions are kind of juking it in favour of an interpretation which says... Yeah. I mean, I think I think that I, th- I mean that, that's a, that's a good point. There has been some debate about, around this kind of measuring of unrealized capital gains, insofar as they're they're not they're not they're not buying and selling all these assets all the time in order to have a pile of cash that they're then smoking. But they're getting richer. They're yep. getting richer at a phenomenal rate. And in other jurisdictions, that there are various ways in which that 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 wealth of, of can be taxed. Wealth. Yeah, 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 absolutely. 
And the, the question, I think, and, and this is where it sort of shades into the politics, which is, of course, the most important thing, is, you know, where do you go from this? Because David Parker would like a capital gains tax that, as he foregrounded, as he started his speech about the ultra-wealthy, he said, look, a propos nothing, I do not believe in taxing the family home. I'm not here to announce any policies. Fire exits there, (laughs) there'll be lunch in 30 minutes, I do not believe in taxing the family home, and I never have. Just housekeeping out of the way. And and, And so the thing is, you know, that's the kind of first clue that any kind of actual capital gains tax they tried to introduce would catch all the investment properties of all the mum and dads who are many of whom are in this middle income earning range that David Parker cares so deeply about um, and, and so the politics of that is basically you know, the third rail, it's, 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 it's plastic explosives It's you know, he's got to stay far away from yeah, it, right? And, yeah. and you've seen that briefings from the ninth floor hosing down the idea of a capital gains tax where I think the politics of this comes in is essentially there's a narrative a narrative forming that the rich don't pay enough tax right they oh now this is the other thing is that they, they pay they pay all they pay all the tax that they're required to right so and and yes and David David and David Parker oh, said do, yeah. David Parker said that he said you this know, isn't an we, exercise in studying tax evasion this isn't about tax avoidance but but I think there has been well, wait, wait 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 I mean avoidance is different to evasion it's, yeah. it's not it's not about evasion no no yeah. no but, avoidance but this is, is not about avoidance. I don't think this is about avoidance I don't think anyone's has suggested this is about avoidance well, either. it depends because I mean I mean avoidance talk, is structuring your affairs in that, such a way as you minimise your, yeah, your tax outlay. And, they, yeah, and of course they do that. Why? Well, I mean, of course they do that. perfectly acceptable. Well, yeah, but I don't, I don't think that there's any suggestion that, uh, look, I haven't... I mean, I mean, I don't think Park but, or but, anyone is accusing no, no, anyone yeah. of being devious. Yeah, but when we when we That's say clear. that they're not paying their share, what we, what we don't mean are they're receiving the same amount of, you know, actual income as, you know, or the same proportion of actual income as anyone else, but what they're doing is they're structuring it so that it goes through a winding labyrinth of different um, Cayman Island trusts and things like that to minimise the amount of tax they pay. The the reason that they pay a low amount of tax on this is that it is not something that is taxed in New Zealand. Sure, but that's still... Yes, that's right. But it's still structured in trusts and different approaches. I I think that there is a bit of a conflation happening there in the narrative that Farkas is creating, right? And trusts are taxed and companies are taxed and all these things are taxed, Mm -hmm. right? So, and I I think, again, there's been some narrative slipperiness here, but the the major thing that I think Parker wants to achieve, which I think he's, you know, on his way to doing, and I think is the reason that they haven't proposed a particular, you know, any kind of follow-up policy to this, is they they just want to create a bit of disaffection towards the wealthy and create the idea that the wealthy aren't paying enough. Because if you say the wealthy aren't paying enough, here's our idea for a capital gains tax, suddenly everyone will start asking, well, what about the family home? What about the land under the family home? What about my land? And so you're running trust? a line, Ben, that this is a kind of envy exercise designed to stir up and eat the rich sentiment. Which might... which might, Or which, is it simply an attempt to try and provide some data? I mean, I mean Parker if, points if, out correctly, this is, you know, this is... This is, I don't know if it's unique in the world, it's certainly rare to have this kind of empirical basis to make assessments about the extent to which wealth is taxed. Surely that's a constructive, useful basis for making kind of central assessments about the way that we organise the state. Yeah, absolutely. But once you 
once you introduce it into the political arena and the minister gives a speech on it rather than it just being a, a technical working paper that the Inland Revenue has done like Treasury does a lot of the time and uploads these dusty sort of formula-laden We shouldn't forget Treasury to, had a sort of sidecar paper that came out at the same time about it, tech structures. Don't want to overlook the Treasury. They did a lot but, well, but the thing is it was overlooked, right? Because it didn't quite, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't quite fit the narrative to the same extent. Well, that it was this one does, doing right? a slightly different thing. I well, think, that's that's right. The, yeah. and, anyway. and so, you know, I, I don't think it's deliberate. I don't think they have like a ten-step plan, you know, mapped out. But what I think is that they'll be keeping an eye on public sentiment. Yeah. If it turns out that there is a big you know, a popular spontaneous call for the rich to pay more, then you might just see maybe a new top, top tax rate of, you know, over $250,000, you have to pay 50% or something. And that would, again, not actually pay for that much in terms of social services, but it would it would further distinguish Labour from national in terms of the signalling of who do we care about, middle-income mm. earners or rich people, or you know, that kind of thing. It's interesting timing, eh, because we've had the announcement this week about, you know, making it, uh, allowing New Zealanders to apply for Australian citizenship and the concern about, you know, mass exodus of, of Kiwis to Aussie for the better pay and conditions and all of that sort of stuff. And one thing that Australia does have that, you know, allows them to pay their their um, nurses and all of that stuff um, better than what we do here is a capital gains tax. So it seems timely that we should be having a discussion about this stuff and the way that it might benefit our society. In terms of the argument about the politics of envy, that may be so, but that's what politicians do. They they ramp up emotion to motivate their, their their voter base. This is something that we see National do all the time in terms of the um, law and order, you know, politics of fear, getting people whipped up to, to come out and vote for them. Um, I think the risk that the go government runs here is that, you know, if this is an exercise to get people talking, to take the, the temperature of the electorate around what sort of appetite there might be for a capital gains tax, that's fine. If they fail to act on it, though, I think they risk looking like a government who likes to review and not do, and that's something that we've seen over and over again with this government. So um, I don't think we're going to see a um, eat, the, eat the rich tax policy. Personally, I support it. Um, <laughs> however, you know... This is an issue that needs to be dealt with. We're not... I don't think anyone is really expecting a major tax change in the budget, which is now closing in. Most of the uh, PDFs will have been sent to the printers. Uh, and David Parker has said, in response to what the policy outcome from the study might be, all parties will be setting their tax policies in the lead-up to the election, which now, let me remind you, is like only five months away. The question really is, to your point, Annabelle, David Parker has produced a truly groundbreaking his work his words study. Is so there modest. anything <laughs> or the, maybe he's describing the findings to be fair to him. Is there anything in the Chris Hipkins project, the bread and butter revolution, the back to basics mindset, the small target strategy running into the election that would make you think that he might 
consider even for a moment <laughs> the tax switch. And, and, and David Parker has spoken uh, repeatedly about his admiration for Bill English's tax switch, which was when there was a switch that meant that it was revenue neutral, but GST was increased and income tax reduced. Is there any sense at all that that is that the, the the Hipkins approach is consistent with doing something kind of big and bold. I did wonder, for, say, that that Grant Robertson, who clearly you know may be considering whether or not he continues after the next election, is like maybe this is it. Maybe I got five months to do something big and bold. But it feels a bit like another way of looking at this is that David Parker is being allowed to do his thing from a lectern on an island. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> the political continent continues. I think if they don't do something, they potentially could lose voters across to the Greens who are very clear on this issue. Mm. And uh, yeah, Chloe Swarbrick was quite compelling yesterday in, in, on the, in a radio interview, making the case in a way that uh, I, I Labour's yeah, reluctant to. But, but I think that she... She fell into this sort of mistake where she said, you know, we've seen the ultra-rich don't pay as much money, pay as much tax as they should. And she said, I think poverty is a choice. We need to acknowledge that now. You know, having poverty is a choice while we don't tax the ultra-rich. But the thing is, you know, when we compare New Zealand to Australia, the reason Australia can pay for all these good things and better health care and more pay for nurses and teachers and you know, tradies can all own second homes and that kind of thing, is not, it's not because of their tax system. It's because they're a richer country. It's because everyone pays more tax because everyone earns more money. And we can't, we can't, you know, I mean, I sound like a 1990s Roger Douglas book, but we can't tax ourselves rich. Right, the 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 ultra wealthy. That it's we not at. about taxing ourselves rich. It's about taxing ourselves to be able to provide good services, particularly when it comes to healthcare and education. Y yeah, sure. But I mean, if you you know, let's say you know, I think at the high watermark in twenty twenty one, when you know, sort of pr corporate profits were th through the roof because there's all this money and you know, washing and through the. Um, uh, you know, through the the money printing and quantitative easing and low interest rates uh, of the post the immediately post COVID era, and I think that that the group of three hundred and thirty one family three hundred and eleven families paid seven hundred million dollars in tax, right, and that was vastly up on a few years earlier. <laughs> you know, let's say we get it up to ten billion dollars. That's not. That's, that doesn't change the game in terms of our social services or pay rates for civil servants or, or anything. It's, it's not as if we are, a, we are a very rich country, but a small number of people are hoarding the wealth. Compared to Australia, which is a country that we compare ourselves and that a lot of New Zealanders compare us to when they decide to move over there, we are just not as rich a country. You could get the... In, instead of it would certainly help. If instead of doubling the amount that these ultra-rich pay, you could get the same amount in the New Zealand tax coffers if every New Zealand full-time worker earned $30 more a week. 
right? So when you compare it to somewhere like sure. Australia, where everyone earns like 10 grand more a year, you know, there's just no comparison. And, you know, look again, you know, I sound like an old act guy, but the, the focus you being really on, on how, you know, on, how, how, me on how, do we, how do we extract the most from these people, mm. that's the way to become rich and we can all like transfer 20 bucks in tax credits here and working for families here and stuff. That doesn't actually solve your, your original problem, which is there's not actually enough money to pay for all the things that we want. How do we get maximum value out of this protein? That's what I want to know. Um, well, actually, just picking up on that, um, the detail had a really good podcast yesterday about nurses going to Australia. And one of the things they talked about is that they don't just go for the money. So, for example, you know, if you're a paediatric nurse in Australia, the their rule is that, you know, you only have to take care of four babies, whereas in New Zealand, you might be taking care of much more than that, which, you know, exponentially increases the stress and pressure and worry and all of that stuff. So, and that's exactly to do with our tax take, the, type, the level of service that we can provide and 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 those type and you know hospitals schools all of that sort of stuff the in terms of the kind of raw politics of it is there something that hipkins can do because if you've got this as a backdrop as you put it ben uh, just a sort of uh, cyclorama that suggests that the wealthy are paying less tax than they might do under other circumstances. You don't want to go with a big CGT. You look at the opposition, and Christopher Luxon wasn't too sure-footed at first and didn't answer very eloquently questions around whether or not the tax system was fair. It was much better this morning. Here's the move. This is free to labour. Okay. A 10% flat tax rate. A, no, a, 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 seventh, a seventh home tax. Seventh home tax. Seventh okay. home tax so that you catch only Christopher Luxon and people <laughs> richer than him and then you force him to defend yeah, okay. them, right? Yeah, well. that, that's the but but but, 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 I mean, you jest, I think. But there is that, uh, there will be a, a temptation to try and find a way to snooker National, because it w there would nothing would suit Labour better than having National defending, defend, yep. having set in a position, running into an election where they're defending uh, rich people. And they they already did <laughs> with, the, with the top tax and rate. They, 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 they abandoned so, that, yeah. right? And they did that, and that had to happen. We knew for a while that was going to have to happen, and it did happen. And Labour would would dearly love to to put them on the back foot again. And the question is how? Because if we talk about a tax switch, you can see one end of the tax switch is, is straightforward, whether it's a, a, a bracket shift, whether it's a tax-free threshold, even up to something like 10,000, you know, to try and do something. You know, Australia has a tax-free th threshold, and you could probably find a way to argue that within the cost of living in terms of not being too inflationary, that you're providing it to everybody across the board. You know, here's a tax cut for everyone if you have a... But then how do you do it at the other end? There was nothing in any of this reporting that suggested income tax, PAYE, would move the dial, really, in terms of that. No, so that's why I think cohort. it's imp impressionistic, right? It's I think that the political value of this report is just a will just to be create to create a general kind of sentiment amongst the working stiffs like us that rich people, quote unquote, aren't paying their fair share. And so if 
Hipkins decides to introduce a new tax rate, a new top tax rate that kicks in at $250,000, yeah. we'll be like, well, that sounds fair. Yeah. That's reasonable. Let's talk about Australia, which we've already touched on a few times. The A few days before Anzac Day, Chris Hipkins went to Brisbane. Uh, he arrived there after an announcement in the, that morning that Albanese had, Anthony Albanese had reversed a decision taken by John Howard, I think, 20-something years ago, which Helen Clark pretended was a good thing, which essentially <laughs> made... Uh, re- reduce the kind of citizen status of New Zealanders in Australia. Is that true? It was presented as a good thing for both countries. Helen, eh? yeah. um, <laughs> Honestly, uh, she's still got me blocked on Twitter, by the way. Keep going. <laughs> it's a good thing for both parties. <laughs> it's that had created a special <laughs> visa category, but basically it meant that it was much harder. There were many more hurdles you had to jump if you were a New Zealander who was what, seeking citizenship in Australia. That's been a sort of thought on the side. Jacinda Ardern had worked quite hard on that. I think John Key even before that. And then Hipkins finished it off and so it was um, it was uh, hailed as a, as a positive thing. And then there was quite swiftly a discussion about whether or not this was actually uh, David Seymour had a good line whether or not Chris Hipkins had been played like a didgeridoo, I think mm. was the line, was it? Uh, and that, in fact, this was going to create a fresh exodus of, um, sorry, Annabelle's just checked and Helen Clark appears to have Oh, no, wait, no, 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 no. sorry, no, wrong. it's still blocked yeah, by no, Helen Clark blocked. on Twitter. Um, I'm still blocked by Judith Collins on Twitter. You are? So if you're listening, Judith, let's just, let's make up. Uh, anyway, the question is, now that this is this has all changed, should we relocate the podcast to Australia? Yes. Benno? Belzo? Like the Whit Sundays, somewhere semi tropical, like that, or are you thinking more like metropolitan, I think, like, I like think Melbourne urban. or something? Yeah, you mean you mean re- relocate our headquarters from the British Virgin Islands? Yeah, <laughs> where the gone, where the gone by lunchtime trust is currently yeah. located. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shoot, shoot through by lunch. Shoot through, <laughs> shoot through by uh, chow down time. <laughs> Yeah. G- G- GBLT number six limited mm. <laughs> LLC. Um. What do you think, uh, Annabelle um, Cobber? Do you, the is this a net positive? Obviously, in a, in a way, it's quite good for Albanese potentially because he um, there's a lot of New Zealanders there in that country with the snakes and the spiders and there's some votes in that potentially. It's a really smart time to do it from their point of view because there is a worker shortage and there's not going to be that kind of knee-jerk response. They're coming over here and stealing our jobs because everyone is desperate for more Mm. nurses, teachers and so on. It's a very, very, very good thing and I think, you know, we should acknowledge the work that Jacinda Ardern did in this area. This is the lives of 700,000 New Zealanders who live in Australia who at times are being rendered completely vulnerable, you know, things like bushfires and all of that, not able to access support, kids not able to go to university, all of that horrible stuff, Mm. you know, blatant discrimination against New Zealand citizens, so it's a wonderful thing. In terms of how it could benefit New Zealanders here, in an ideal world, I would like to think that businesses in New Zealand have to raise their game and start competing against Australian businesses in terms of the salaries that they offer um, New Zealanders and being far more competitive. 
I fear that what we'll do is just feed our addiction to to cheap labour and, and and bring in um, fill our labour shortage um, by bringing in um, new migrants to the to the country, and that will keep us as the lo- low wage economy that we are. Mm. I mean, Ben, whether or not this makes Australia more attractive is kind of moot, but we could have asked already, what is it about the higher wage, lower cost, functioning public transport, proper operating city nature of Australia that attracts New Zealanders (laughs) there? Um, well, th- I mean, this is the thing, right? You know, there, there's there's sort of a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth, and uh, but you know, this, this is the reality. You know, you like go to a small town on the east coast. You know, why wouldn't why wouldn't mm. you, if you're a young person, dropped out of school, why wouldn't you go over and, and be a builder in Australia mm. and earn a hundred grand a year instead instead of you know, I I mean, I've I, I've, I've friends on the east coast who you know. Ex- who have extraordinarily sort of, you know, valuable skill sets in terms of local knowledge, sort of, you know, history, that kind of thing. And, you know, they go and work in Australia and mm. do forklifts and stuff because that pays better, pays what? much better. That's the way to support your family, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, the... I, I don't think it's necessarily bad, that, you know, that, that we <laughs> that we have this kind of, you know... Um, sort of vacuum effect where, you know, our, our people get sucked to Australia and then we suck talent out of, you know, parts of the developing world. And, um, you know, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Um, you know, that's not really what keeps our, our wages down. What keeps our wages down is like low, you know, low productivity, that we don't we don't sell enough stuff. We don't, you know... Um, <sighs> The danger is, of course, that, you know, when you get higher levels of immigration, you get scapegoating and stuff. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. taken us five years to recover from the 2017 election where everybody used the um, – uh, what was the euphemism then? It was like um, uh, overburdened infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and pretty much every yeah. every um, every party, I think, apart from national, campaigned on that. Um, and, and, you know, it was pretty ugly. And – uh, and what it, and what it led to was skill shortages. You know, even 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 outside of Australia, even when people were sort of stuck here because of COVID. You know, um, yeah. So I, I mean, like you know, it is it's a it's a very very good thing for New Zealanders in Australia. It's a very good thing for Australia. I mean, it was really only sort of the same sort of uh, you know shooting yourself in the foot kind of political populism. On, on mm. behalf of the Australians that stopped this from happening earlier. You know, of course New Zealand New Zealand migrants are, are much better than most Australian workers in the sense that migrants to most countries are better workers yep. because they're the people who are motivated, who are, you know, enterprising, yep. who are willing to uproot their whole life mm. to, you know, go, go and, and make a go of it somewhere else. Um, and that's kind of the sucky bit is that... that our migrants that go to Australia, they get to go over and have an awesome lifestyle. And the migrants that come to New Zealand get like shit wages, shit housing. I mean, depends where they you're coming from, right? Okay, good. Well, I think we've solved that, and uh, we just need to decide whether we, whether where we, whether we go for Sydney or Melbourne. I think maybe. <sighs> I'd like to go to Melbourne. Okay. I think Darwin. 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. Townsville. <laughs> 
The, <laughs> one of my friends lives in Darwin and it's like they had some floods. Wow. And, and they were like, oh, no, deadly floods because, like, two people died or something. But then twice as many people died just from this, like, bacteria that lives two metres under the earth that was disturbed by the floods. Oh, my God. <laughs> like it's, oh, it's classed as, like, a grade, a, a grade one bioweapon by the United States military. <laughs> and it's just, like, in Such garden. a dangerous it's place. Like, you, like, you see the picture of people going, oh, I'm just, I'm just nipping off for a swim. <laughs> and it's like there are crocodiles everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that whole like, place is just absolutely terrifying. Like, yeah. invisible jellyfish. <laughs> like, like, everything. Like, yeah, so oh it's like the plants, God. the animals, and the, 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 the humans. Dirt. The, the humans are terrifying. Like Absolute shocker. <laughs> hey, uh, quickly, a couple of things to rule off. The, the sort of main task of uh, journalists in New Zealand, enterprising journalists in New Zealand over the last maybe four to six weeks, has been twofold. One, digging up the PDFs on the Electoral Commission site to look through <laughs> for donations <laughs> while, while watching... TV and the other one just scrolling down the Facebook pages of whoever's been announced as the candidate for whatever party. <laughs> and honestly, I reckon Ben, like if you wanted to create an alternative revenue stream for your company, like you guys could hire yourselves out to be like professional Facebook scrollers, just scrollers. for poli- for political parties. Scroll for you. Yeah. Have you? Do you ever do that? Is that part of your work? At- Capital Facebook, yeah. Pages? Just scroll, just scroll. I've never, I've never thought about that. You could no. do a kind of, uh, you know, preemptive one where you basically you could make some money doing this. It might be illegal. I don't know. The three eleven are probably busy doing this. You scroll and then you find stuff and you screen grab it, screenshot it, it yeah, and then you yeah. say to them, look, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I could send this to Andrea Vance, yeah, right. or you could. Um, Blackmail. Send me a check. Is that blackmail? Yeah. Is that uh, allowed? No. Okay. Um, or is it data banking and then offering people it's the reputation protection. to buy? Yeah, yeah. It's just enhancing reputation Very in the political how you sphere. Frame it. Yeah. You know, it's not really blackmail. No. It's anyway, so if you're folks. looking for greymail. Yeah. It's, it's shades of greymail. Um, not, not to be encouraged. Anyway, a couple of things. So, first, the Kerry Allen was um, discovered by. One news to have taken donations from Ming Foon and his wife in two forms. One is a one was a cash one, and one was in, in kind for electorate office. Critically, this was before she was in cabinet, mm. let alone justice minister. Uh, some responded saying this is a this is a this is a non-story. Uh, this is a blah. It is a story, isn't it? When the when the race relations commissioner is making donations, whether or not the sin is greater on his part than anyone else, it's not a breach of the cabinet manual, and she shouldn't be hauled over the coals. But it's a story. He he didn't have he didn't have any accountability to her um, at the time the donations were made. So I don't think I think she's probably in the clear for accepting the donation mm. at the time. And and, and and clearly hadn't declared that, but has now. And that, yeah. that I don't think anyone is suggesting there was any kind of nefarious or underhand we, we, operation. When you're appointed here. as a minister and you become justice minister and you're sort of well, I, she, she she wasn't a minister in their first term, was she? Was she? No, don't think so. Unless it was right at the end, I don't think um, so. Yeah, and so. You know, you would sort of think, you know, in the excitement of becoming a minister, you probably don't go, oh, shit, were any of the people who are in agencies for which I held ultimate responsibility on my donations list, you know, 
two years ago or a year ago. You probably don't. You know, I think you can give them the benefit of the doubt there. Um, Meng Foon, yeah, that's an interesting one because I initially I sort of thought I'm sympathetic to the Chris Hipkins argument, which is that, um, you know, in the old days you did have groups who would donate to every political party. You know, mm-hmm. the big corporates used to do this um, – Contact Energy say used to donate twenty thousand dollars to Labor, twenty thousand dollars to National, mm-hmm. ten to the Greens, ten to ACT. So, um, and that was sort of seen as a kind of service to democracy sure. or something. This, some people have argued to me that it's not quite the same. You know, if you've got a public servant, somebody who is whose whose role, you know, whose role is kind of contingent on political appointment, that. You know, even donating to all the parties is still sort of maybe not a great look. Mm. Um, in Ming Foon's case, he says he's been doing this for years, probably since he was the mayor, maybe even before then, um, to say both candidates. Uh, some people have said, well, then you'd have to be very careful that both the amounts are exactly the same. You donate mm. to every party. I'm not too sure about that, but I, I think the question would it would centre around the question of. Is it appropriate in any circumstances for a public servant to sort of, you know, make a, a public donation, you know, where they know, you know, where it's it's known, a non-anonymous donation, you know, they know that it's come from the public servant to to a politician? I, I, I haven't actually formed a, a view on that probably personally. Probably better, but. best not. I think that's probably a reasonably <laughs> good rule, isn't it? Like just, just, just best not. I mean, like I, I see what you mean. I, I think there's a probably a reasonably good argument for a noblesse oblige for companies to just sort of, you know, fund across the board. But I think if you are an appointment, but see, when Sky City did it, you know, Sky City used to do the same right, thing. No, that's also best and, not. And, and you definitely, and you, you know, know that they're, they're, they're not just doing this service of democracy, right? So that everyone yeah. remembers they gave the party twenty grand, and just and the fact that they've given it to everybody doesn't yeah. sort of. So I, yeah, I look. I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know. I think if you accepted it and. Yeah, I, look, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't formed a view. Annabelle, have you formed a view? I'm a bit like Ben, like I don't have a super strong view on it either way. I think it's, I think it's a story, not an incredibly significant scandal that's been unveiled. I don't think Kitty's a crook. I don't think Ming's a crook. I think probably it was a bit of a misstep on Ming's part. I, I recognise that it's a part of his whānau tikanga to give those koha to politicians, but I think once you become a public servant, it's probably wise to hold back on doing that until you've finished fulfilling um, that role and you're, you're, you're no longer answerable to you know any government figure or anything like like that. I also think that, you know, while we're demanding transparency in terms of lobbyists and all of that, that we should uphold those tikanga right across the board. So, like Ben, I don't think any major crime has been committed here, probably just some um, poor decision making that's now blown up in, in, in the face of um, the players. All right, moving on to Ross Agnew, the South Otago farmer. Wait, who's he? He's the author of Fart Tax Blues. That was his seminal work. Oh, is he Stephen Jack? A, Who are we talking no, about? He's, a, he he's the, a poet. Does he the guy that wrote he's the, the poem? He's the guy that oh. wrote the poem. Okay. He's the guy that wrote the poem that Stephen Jack, who most likely would have gone on to become Prime Minister <laughs> 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 after pulling off an incredible upset victory in Tidy, was it? Tidy, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, look, un- un- he wasn't going to win that seat. 
someone it didn't scroll far enough down his feed. Um, does this point to an ongoing failure in national selection or is it a little bit of a storm in a teacup? And, Ben, critically, a reminder of the kryptonite that poetry is for <laughs> politics. <laughs> um, There's been way too much bad poetry, political bad poetry. I just think it's day. an important People need to lesson. cut it out. Yeah. Just, just stay clear. Stop. And can I just say, in terms of the quality of that particular poem, like mm. the greatest New Zealand poetry was featured all over the bus stops of Waiheke in the 1980s. I'm thinking of yeah. of um, Jules, like, love is gold, love is gold, and love is made in the back of a Holden. And I tell you what, <laughs> his poem would not have Whose made it. Had it been graffitied over. That one was on, and actually that one was in the toilets at, at Onitangi Beach. Love is gold, love is gold, and love is made in the back of a Holden. I think it was also in the Rocky Bay bus shelter, if I recall correctly. I'm going to try and find this Ross Agnew poem and give you a few lines to talk us out, but briefly, Ben. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it's as much of a controversy as uh, some of National's detractors have suggested. In in seats where you're not going to win, where the local electorate is not particularly strong, you won't always get you you won't always get winners. There will be people who have to just fill up, you know, <laughs> fill up the dance card, make up the numbers, punch, you know, punch the time card. Um, it is better if these guys sort of you know after after the second or third sort of gross Facebook post, you probably want to move them on, but. And and it and it suggests that you know there was a bit of a lack of care and attention taken by the electorate committee. You know, Luxon could justifiably feel let down there. At the same time, you know, I, th I think um, what did Catherine Ryan and RNZ say? She said it was you know it was it was, it was in the tradition of bawdy verse more than sort of uh, being you know particularly you know particularly offensive or rancorous. It was just sort of. It was somebody who obviously wasn't cut out for public life. Probably good that he's out of it now, but um, I think that's about as far as it goes. You know, you live and you learn. Okay, well, that's enough of that. Uh, let's end the podcast uh, while saying thank you to Sam, thank you to members, thank you to Ben and Annabelle, and I'm going to give you the uh, penultimate stanza of Ross Agnew's poem, Enough is Enough, Beautiful. which was the which was posted by... Um, the, Uncle what would have been the future Prime Minister Stephen Jack mm. and led to his downfall. <clears throat> I well remember someone saying, we won't bring in new tax, but the one they put on vehicles just broke the camel's back. <laughs> Regulations thrust upon us, trying to drag the country down. And since the last election, same old circus, just more clowns. <laughs> Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.